Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church, where our goal is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To learn more about Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Josh Murray. All right, well, good morning again. It's so good to see you. I wanna welcome you to Canyon Creek. I also wanna welcome those who are joining us online from home for our live stream service. We're glad that you're tuning in as we're in the second week of this series where we're taking a look at the Lord's Prayer. We're taking a look at this model, really, or framework of prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples and to us. We're just kind of looking at this line by line, verse by verse, and talking about the principles that each line of the Lord's Prayer represents. And last week, we started with praise. Jesus began this prayer with this statement. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And using that phrase, we talked about how our prayers need to start with praise, Our prayers need to start with worship. We need to start by acknowledging who God is. He's our Father in heaven. Remember, God wants to do big things in your life, but more than that, or before any of that, he wants to be the Lord of your life. And we acknowledge his lordship over our lives when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's what we talked about last week. And again, my desire for us, my prayer for us as we go through this time together is that we'll go deeper in prayer than maybe we've been right now or before, because wherever you are in your walk with God today, wherever you are in how much time you spend in prayer or your understanding of prayer, my prayer for us is that we'll go deeper, all right? We need to go deeper in our understanding of who God is. We need to go deeper in our understanding of prayer. Wherever we are with God, we can all take a step to go further or deeper. And so my prayer is that this will really serve as a catalyst for us to do that. Today, we're going to take a look at the second line of the Lord's Prayer. This is my favorite part of the Lord's Prayer, and I'm really excited about it. But before we do that, let's read the entire thing together. This week, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to quote one of the the versions or translations that includes the benediction so we can see that in context. I want to remind you, even if the translation that you read doesn't typically include this benediction. It doesn't make it any less true. Let's take a look. Matthew chapter six, verse nine. Jesus says, in this manner, therefore pray. It says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today, we're going to focus just on the second part, and we're going to talk about purpose. All right. Let's take another look at that second verse, verse 10. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right. When we read that verse, I think we sometimes feel like we're praying for Jesus to return and get his kingdom back. And some people may interpret it that way. We may think about this verse or this part of the Lord's Prayer in terms of the second coming of Christ, but I'm not so sure that that's what it's about. Because Jesus on earth is praying, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Essentially, he's saying, God, your kingdom, where you are king, where you rule, where you reign, Bring that kingdom here. May that place where your will is done perfectly 
come down to earth. May that kingdom show up around us. May that kingdom arrive here on this planet. So I want you to think about for a minute, what would our world look like today if Jesus answered that prayer completely? What would it look like? He's the Prince of Peace, right? So all wars would end. He's sovereign, so all rebellion would cease. He would create an atmosphere where there is no sin, without jealousy, without anger, without brokenness. Imagine the world that way, all right? Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want you to pray for God's will to be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. I want you to pray for God's kingdom purposes to be demonstrated here on earth, just as they are demonstrated in heaven. So we can absolutely pray for Jesus to return. But in the meantime, what we really need to focus on is how do I pray for God's will to be done in my life and in the world around me, just as it is in heaven right now? How do I pray for God's plan to be carried out here on earth, just as it is in heaven? How do I pray for God's will to be done in my life, in my family? in my workplace, in the community around me? How do prayer and purpose come together? And then ultimately the question that we'll get to by the end of our time together today is how do I say yes to that? To whatever God asks, to whatever he commands, to whatever he says to me through his word or his spirit, how can I completely and totally surrender to God's will here on earth so that his kingdom will show up around me, all right? Here's the reality of this part of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching us that prayer is an opportunity for us to align our will with God's will and to ask that his will would be done in the world around us. That's the big point that we're going to explore today. The prayer is an opportunity for us to align our will with God's will. It's an opportunity for us to ask God what his will is, and then pray that that will, that purpose, would be carried out in the world around us. But he also mentions heaven, all right? He says, may your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come, may it show up here. He's saying, may this world look a little bit more heavenly than it does right now. Might my life look a little bit more heavenly than it does right now? May my family look a little bit more heavenly than it does right now. May there be a little more peace than there is right now, more purpose, more direction, more of God's presence. That's what we're praying for. So if Jesus is telling us that heaven can come to earth, I wanna talk for just a few minutes about what heaven is all about because the Bible has a lot to say about heaven, but there's a whole lot that it leaves out. But scripture gives us a good picture of what eternity in heaven with God is going to be like. And I think it gives us that picture because God wants us to live for it, right? He wants us to focus on it. He wants us to work it into our lives right here and right now. The Bible talks about heaven and it says, this is what you're preparing for and focusing on. So don't get stuck in the temporary. Don't get stuck on the here and now. Don't get stuck on the things that are short term. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? Fix your gaze on heaven. So as we get started today, I just want to make a few quick points about heaven. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because I want to get to prayer and purpose. But I think these points will help us to understand this part of the Lord's Prayer. So my understanding of heaven is based on these three thoughts. Number one is this, that heaven is a real place where God exists, where angels dwell, and where believers go when they die. 
all right? That is a very basic biblical understanding of heaven. And I'm pointing this out because I want you to understand what the Bible does say about heaven. The Bible's teaching about heaven isn't that heaven is some mystical or magical place where all of your dreams come true. It's not some abstract place that only exists in your mind. No, the Bible presents heaven as a place that is real, all right? The Bible describes it as a sanctuary that houses the, the throne of God and the presence of God. It serves as the model by which the Old Testament temples and tabernacles were constructed. So it's a real place where God exists, where angels dwell, and where believers go when they die. That's a very basic statement about heaven. Here's the second thing I want you to understand today. Heaven represents the realm in which God's will is carried out completely and perfectly. All right, there's no error, there's no sin. So heaven is where God's throne is. It's where the angels are serving him. He sends them as messengers of light and truth to the world. And it's the realm in which God's will is always carried out completely and perfectly. And that's important for us to understand in terms of what Jesus wants us to pray for. So in heaven, God is in charge, he's in control, and there's nothing that's keeping his will from being carried out. And lastly, number three, Jesus taught us to pray that God's will would be done on earth and in our lives just as it is in heaven, all right? So to put these things together, heaven is a real place where God's throne exists, where the angels are living, where he is totally in charge, where his will is done completely and perfectly every time. And Jesus is asking us to pray that life on earth would resemble that. He's asking us to pray that the kingdom we just described would permeate the earth. He's asking us to pray that God would have full authority over our lives and over the earth. Now we know that the world doesn't quite look like that right now. When we take a look at the world, it might not really seem like God is in charge, okay? But I absolutely believe that he is. I believe that he's in control of everything. I believe that he's sovereign. There are just a lot of really bad things that are going on the world, in the world. And he's allowing that to happen. And one of the reasons that we struggle with that so much is because we just want God to hurry up and fix it all, right? But the Bible says that he's patient. The Bible tells us that he is waiting and he's allowing these things to happen and he's given us freedom so that more people can come to know Jesus. And he's not fixing it all instantly like we would like him to. Instead, he's allowing some things to happen. All right, but think about it this way. If you're allowing something to happen, you're still the one in charge, right? So God's never not been in charge. He's never not been in control. There's not anything that happens in the world that he's unaware of. There are just some bad things in this broken world that he allows to take place. And that is something that is incredibly difficult for us to understand. So with that being said, today I want us to learn how to pray for God's will to be done on earth and in our lives, just as it is in heaven. And to help us understand what that looks like, I want us to take a look at a passage in Isaiah chapter six. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. You can also follow along on the Bible app. We've got our, our notes in there. 
We're gonna take another look at a passage. If you remember back in January, we started the year taking a look at this passage and we looked at it briefly and we talked about what happened. But today I want us to take another look at it uh, and explore it in the context of this part of the Lord's Prayer. We're gonna take a look. Isaiah chapter six, verse one, Isaiah says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and the hem of his robe filled the temple. We're gonna pause right there. So Isaiah is getting a glimpse of heaven. And notice it doesn't explicitly say that this is a vision. It doesn't say that this is a dream. It's some kind of experience where the prophet Isaiah is witnessing this heavenly scene. And he describes it for us. In verse two, he says, seraphim were standing above God. They each had six wings, with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Now this part of Isaiah chapter six is broken up into three different parts, really. This first part is where Isaiah is focused on God and God is seated on the throne. And the servants who are serving God are called seraphim. They're essentially agents of God's command. So Isaiah starts with this upward focus. He gives us this glimpse into heaven, this preview of this place where God rules and reigns. And I truly believe that Isaiah was given this insight so that he could write about it for us. But it all starts with focus. Isaiah's heavenly experience starts with an upward focus on God. It starts with a relationship between Isaiah and God. And he sees God on the throne and he understands. And he's given clarity and insight that that's where God is and he's ruling and he's reigning and he's in charge and he's in control and he's powerful. And in verse three, the angels begin to praise him. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the earth. And what's really interesting about this verse is the repetition of the word holy. In other words, there's a triple emphasis on the holiness of God. Isaiah says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. There's no mistaking it. There's no denying it. He's holy. Now, what does that mean? We tend to think of holiness as simply not sinning. Okay, but that's not what holiness is. Holiness isn't about performance. It's not about behavior. It's not about sinning or not sinning. Holiness has to do with something that is set apart as sacred. So since God is holy, he's set apart from sin. He alone is perfect. He alone is pure. He alone has never been contaminated by the effects of sin. He's transcendent. 